Romans chapter number 8. Does anyone need a handout for the sermon tonight? If you need a handout, we'll get that to you real quick. And we'll dive into some precious verses of the Bible this evening. Romans chapter number 8. We're going to look at three verses tonight as we continue on about the spirit life. I want to remind you that the book of Romans was written to believers. It was a book given to those who trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Therefore, the message of the book is to the Christians. I think you can see that. Having said that, as we dive into these verses tonight, there are some words that are sometimes used that Christians through the ages have divided over and have different schools of thoughts behind some words. When I first got to Chino and started pastoring, literally within the first week, I knocked on someone's door, told them about our church, told them about the Savior, and the first question he asked me is, are you Arminian or are you Calvinistic? And I'm like, I'm like um, um, you say, did you know? Yes, I have my Bible college degree. Yes, I went through four years. I didn't know. And I thought to myself, you know, one of those moments where it was like, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I'm like, I'm ashamed at this moment. This guy just asked a question. He knows more about it than me. And so a while back, I wanna, we're going to read these three verses. I'm going to talk about Arminianism and Calvinism for a couple minutes, not long. I talked about this. If you want a more in-depth on this, on a Wednesday night in our series on questions, I talked about free will. And so probably about five weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I covered this in detail. I know sometimes some of us aren't here on Wednesday night, so I just want to go into it just for a minute, cover a few basic thoughts. That way, in case if you're ever witnessing and someone asks you the same question, I'm helping equip you not to look like a fool like I did at that moment. But I'll tell you what would look more foolish. Sometimes we just respond and give an answer to someone because we think we need to respond. Sometimes the wisest thing to do is just say, I don't know. Because you can look like a real fool by saying you think you know something when you don't know something. And so it's more wise just to say, I don't know. And that's what I did in this case. Do I always do that? No, I wish I would do that more often, but it doesn't always happen. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. And I pray that you'd help us get what you have for us. We need you tonight. We love you. And we thank you for you being our God and being in control of all things. And I pray that as we look at this passage tonight and as we break some things down, it's all you. It truly is. 
I pray that you'd help that be relayed tonight through the message. May we look tonight at this wonderful verse, and sometimes we look at this verse, verse 28, and we think of the hope that it gives us. Or God works all things together for good, for my benefit. In the long run, it is for our benefit. But there's a purpose behind it all. And may we figure that out tonight and be a help in the message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Someone might ask me today, Pastor, are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminian? And I would say, I'm neither. I'm a Biblicist. I do my best. And sometimes people will call me out and say, you say you claim to follow the Bible and yet you said this. If you're looking for a perfect guy to pastor, you need to keep looking because you're not going to find one here, okay? I do my best. Our church, as long as the Lord allows me the privilege of being the pastor of this church, will be a Bible-following church. We base where we stand on God's word, not on anything but God's word. And I don't apologize for that, and that's how it will be. And so... I have a little chart to put up on the screen, and you've seen this before, if Joe puts it up. Calvinism and Arminianism. Arminianism gets its name from a guy by the name of Jacobus Arminius. Arminianism, see? It comes from his last name. People who hold to the view of Arminianism, there are some things, and these are just some standard things. There's more to it. There can be. But these are the gist of them. An Arminian believes that sinners can do good and respond to God. Number two, that God elects on the basis of foreseen faith. Number three, Christ died for all. Number four, man can resist God. Number five, believers may lose salvation. That is a basic rundown of Arminianism. Say, Pastor, are you an Arminian tonight? I am not. Do I agree with a few points? Yes, and we'll talk about those in a minute. So, well then, since you're not an Arminianist, that means you're a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. John Calvin lived many years ago. And we'll even say, if we want to be honest, John Calvin even helped persecute Bible-believing Christians back in his day, if we want to be honest about that. His view holds to, number one, that man is unable of self to respond to God. Number two, God elects according to his good pleasure. Three, Christ died for the elect. Number four, irresistible election. That means you don't have a choice in salvation. You are drawn to it, and you have to choose it. And then the elect can never lose salvation. Say, Pastor, are you a Calvinist tonight? I am not. But there are a few good points in Calvinism as well. So you say, so you're a mixture of the two. No, I just stick with the Bible. And I think there are good people on both sides of the aisle here that try to go too deep to answering some of the things of God that you just will never be able to figure out. And when you can't figure something out about God, just trust him and leave it alone. Just trust him. You don't, need to know, you don't have to know every little detail about God because you never will. 
You never will, because he is so far much greater and so far above anything you and I will ever come to. Our thoughts will never compare to his thoughts. Our ways will never compare to his ways. And so this is a basic breakdown of these things. Now, when we look at these things, and we just go through them, I'm just going to run through them quickly tonight. Sinner can do good and respond to God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So we do not do good. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if we're being honest according to the scripture, the only way we can come to Christ is because God has drawn us in, right? The Spirit speaks. So that refutes that one there. Number two, God elects on basis of foreseen faith. Now, I don't think this is too far off. Because the Bible says according to his foreknowledge, doesn't it? In 1 Peter, it talks about that fact. And so when God, you know, we talk about election, God has chosen us. Aren't you thankful he's chosen us? Well, on the Calvinism side of it, only those he's chosen can get saved. Well, then what you're saying is the blood of Jesus was only good for some people. It's not good for all. Not all could get saved by it because it was only for the elect's sake. No, Christ came. He's God so loved the world. God didn't just love the elect. He loved the world. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there is some truth in number two right there. Number three, Christ died for all. Amen, amen, and amen. The most of the Arminian right there. Because he died for all. Not just a few chosen people, for all. Number four, man can resist God. I believe that that's true as well. You are given a choice. What happens is, and we've talked about it, and I've mentioned it this morning, and sometimes in some of us in our soul-winning tactics and the things that we do, let's make sure that we're not playing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws men in, correct? He convicts. I don't do that. In a message where I, it's not my job to convict you. It's the Holy Spirit's job to work in our lives. And the problem is we have a lot of people trying to do the Holy Spirit's work and convict us. My job is to sow the seed. My job is to get the gospel out. How someone responds, and, and let's be honest, I could talk almost anybody into praying a prayer with me. I really could. And most of you in this room could do the same thing. That's not salvation. They are drawn by God. We are to sow the seeds. As the seeds are sown, we can't control what type of heart it lands on. We've talked about this in the book of Mark. The Spirit of God could be working on a person and they might receive Christ. Another person might say no god i don't want that but man can resist god and that's not and that's not saying that man's will is greater than god's will because man's will is never greater than god's will and that's where some people get wrong on this as well god's will is the ultimate thing but god gives you a choice a free will that's why he put the tree in the garden i know we think if he just wouldn't have put the tree in the garden it would have helped out the, it would have made things a lot simpler right but he gave man a choice. And then we see number five in Arminianism that a believer may lose salvation. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. The devil wants you to think that you can lose your salvation. Because what happens in the idea here, and, and not trying to be bad tonight, but a lot of Pentecostal groups really follow this big. And I'll use an example. Victory Outreach here in our city. I've met with a few of the pastors from there, and we've sat down, and we were talking about something, and they said that it's important because they deal with a lot of people that have gotten released from prison. These are their words, not mine, their words. And if you just tell them that they're always saved, then they can go back to their old life and do whatever they want. There has to be accountability with salvation. Once you are saved... No man can pluck you out of the Father's hand, period. Because salvation's not based on me and my good works. My standing, my acceptance in God isn't based on me and what I do. My standing is based on Jesus Christ and what he did and his righteousness. So we look at the Calvinism side of things. And man is unable to, of self to respond to God. And we see that God does draw. There is, there is a balance there. There is some things that we go through there. Things, but God does draw a man in. We see number two there, that God elects according to his good pleasure. And there are some truth to, there is some truth to some of these things. The next one, Christ died for the elect. I have a very hard time with that because Christ died for all people. The person who rejects him, he died for them as well. I also am a firm believer in free will. God doesn't make anybody trust him. Uh, the irresistible grace, I don't believe in that. And then the elect can never lose salvation. Amen for that one. So you can take, and we could go through hours of debate, and we'll get scripture and go through that. That's why you need to go back and listen to the free will message on Wednesday night to see more about that. But tonight, as we go through this passage here in these verses, and as we talk about these things, I just wanted to cover that because predestination is mentioned in these verses tonight as we go a little further and we'll see where we get to with, with sake of time. The title of my message tonight is very simply the determination of the spirit life. When I refer tonight to determination, I'm not talking about you and I and our determination. I'm talking about God and his determination tonight. God working. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about tonight. So as we look here tonight, dive in, I want to give you several things to help us tonight. And we'll only get through a couple points here tonight. Number one, we see the determination of God's promise. The determination of God's promise. Besides John 3.16, Romans 8.28 might be the second most beloved verse in all the Bible. And there's great reason for that tonight. Because life so filled with troubles and trials... It is good to know that everything is being worked out according to the plan of our great God. That is good to know. And as we look here tonight, and as we look at the determination of God's promise, we see Paul here, and we know. We don't guess. It not perhaps it's going to happen. And we know that all, not some, not part, but all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We see letter A under this point of the determination of God's promise. We see there's a confidence. 
We know this. Hey, Christian, in Rome, Paul's saying, we know this, that all things work together for good. Paul's statement is, that's a shocking statement as a believer. You look at our world, and you look at the things that go on in this world. But you got to understand, it's true. All things work together for good. This is a promise from God. We see this right here. His reputation rides on a verse like this. And it is true tonight. He did not say, and make sure you don't take God out of context in what he says here. He doesn't say all things are good. He never said that. Some people think that. No. Even the things you don't understand or even the things we don't like. God is working them together for our good, the Bible says. Do you see that in that verse right there? That means, let's just think about this tonight. That means, and when we think about this, I think what F.B. Meyer said, he said, if any promise of God should fail, the heavens would clothe themselves in sackcloth, the sun, the moon, and the stars would reel from their courses, the universe would rock, and a hollow wind would moan through a ruined creation, the awful fact that God can lie, but he cannot lie. There's a confidence. We know that all things, we see letter B, there's a completeness. You notice what it says? It doesn't say most things. It doesn't say some things. It says all things. In the dictionary, the word all means the whole of, the greatest possible, or every member or individual part of, the whole number or sum of, every any, whatever, everything, all things work together for good. Even the things you don't understand or the things that you like. Think about this with me tonight. Are you think, think with me. Sweet things in life work for our good. We like that, don't we? It's easy to say the sweet things of life are good, right? Family, vacation, salvation. The raise at work, the bonus check that came in the mail. It's easy to say that the sweet things are good, and God's blessings are good, aren't they? Aren't God's blessings good? Would anybody disagree with that tonight? But not only tonight are the sweet things good, but do you realize sorrowful things work together for good? What happened in Afghanistan this last week can work together for good? Do we believe that? Do we? It's easy to say the sweet things and the good things. Those are good. All things work to Those are good. There's no doubt about that. And why don't we look at people in the Bible Think about Jacob in Genesis 42, verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simon is not, and he will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Did that look very good for Jacob? 
I don't think it looked very good. His son Joseph and the others there. But think about Joseph. Did it look good to be thrown into a pit? To be sold as a slave? To be put into Potiphar's house? To be lied about by Potiphar's good things being in prison for a long time for doing nothing wrong good thing in Joseph's life it wasn't good we all know that but then God raises him up to second in command and when his family needed help God raised Joseph up to help his family and Joseph said it very well in Genesis 50 and verse number 20 but as for you he's talking to his brother he thought evil against me but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And yes, you look at Joseph's life, and this is where this verse, it makes sense. All things work together for good. Was Joseph's life, all these details, good? Was it good in Jacob's life, losing his son? Was it good in those brothers' lives, the evil that they were doing? It was not. But God brought the evil that was done, and God took all those circumstances, and God brought it to the point to where good came from it. That's the promise we have. Life's not always going to be sweet and good. But as a believer, as a child of God, we have this promise from God in his word, just like Joseph here. Do you think, all, do you think it was good for Job to wake up one day and to have his children all die? To lose his everything, lose his own health, was it for good? But God worked it together for good. That's the promise that we have. But that's where we got to remember these things. Sweet things work for our good. We like that one. Sorrowful things work together for our good. How about this one? Satanic things work together for our good. Say, nope, you can't take Satan and throw him. All things work together for good. Say, Pastor, give me a verse. I'm so glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Look at what it says. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that I might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly therefore would I rather glory in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you know what Paul was saying right there? Satan wanted to use this thing to mess me up. This was a satanic attack on me. But God meant it for good. God took the bad and made it work together for good. Because all things work together for good. Sweet things, sorrowful things, satanic things. God can make sinful things work together for good.
It says all. That's the word right there, right? All. Do you believe? Do you believe God when he says something? God's the one who said it, not me. He's the one who said, and we know that all things, you say, well, Paul said, under inspiration, smarty pants. God can take our sin. You say, so I'm going to go sin so God can use it for good. Shame on you for even thinking that way. That's a wrong way to think. Think about, as we just think about that point, Matthew, uh, let's see, we think about Luke 22, verse 31 through 34. And the Lord says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as the wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. God used Peter's betrayal. Peter did it. And don't, let me help you out too. God never leads us to sin. We sin. God never leads you or tempts you to sin. So don't go down that road either. Bible of that one as well but we think about all that Paul did for the Lord history tells us he was crucified upside down on a cross he learned from the mistakes he made and God worked it in his life there you can think on that one but the Bible says all things so when it says all remember it says all As we see in this passage, we see the fact that there's a confidence. We see that there's a completeness. Letter C, we see there is a cause. These things aren't just working out for the believer. They're taking place because of the personal concern and work of God in the lives of the believer. This cause is the awesome power of God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's in control of everything. And church, don't ever forget the fact that he controls all things. Well, pastor, Satan's the god of this world, so he's in control of this world. Who's in control of everything? God is. Who's going to have the final say on everything? Not Satan. God will. Don't forget that tonight. And when we think about that, it's so, and there was a, Martin Luther was prone to periods of deep depression in his life. And one day during, uh, during one of those times, he came to the breakfast table to find his wife dressed in black garments. She looked as if she were going to a funeral. Martin Luther asked his wife who had died, and she replied, God did. Luther raised his head and said, woman, that's blasphemous. She replied, it's no more blasphemous to say that God is dead than to live as though he were dead. And Luther got the point and repented of his, of his uh, foolishness. And when life closes in on you, you've got to remember this, that if you belong to Jesus, if you're, his ch- if you're God's child, God is there. 
in the midst of all things, whatever they may be. Let's be honest. Before Job could be, all those things happened to Job, God had to give permission. Am I wrong? And I know some people say, Pastor, that's Old Testament. God doesn't work the same as he does in the Old Testament. I think that's a very clear example. You are a child of God. God knows everything that happened. And God is in, he sees every situation. Don't ever lose sight of that. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now we love the promise. But this is where some people get off when it comes to God. Do you realize that most of God's promises, we're not even through point number one tonight. Do you know that most of God's promises, there's always a condition for those promises? There's, there's a condition. What's the condition? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And to those, and to them, and to the, them who are called according to his purpose. We see letter D, there's a condition. This promise is not for everyone. Everybody in this world, this promise is not for everyone in this world tonight. It's not. As we look at this passage here, we see only those who love God. If things work together for good to the lover of God, then wouldn't the opposite be true for those that don't love God? Say, well, how do I know that I love God? Well, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us, right? So a child of his, you're going to love him. We'll talk more about that here in a second. But when we talk about this and when we think about it, them that love God, first question I'd ask you, are you saved tonight? It's where it would begin. Because we love him because he first loved us. You cannot love him till you know him. Because God is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God or God's love. The condition to this promise begins with being saved. Are you a lover of God? Do you love him? The second question I would ask, be honest, are you obedient to him? Jesus said it, not me. If you love me, what are you going to do? You're going to keep my commandments. That was Jesus. And you say, oh, well, I loved him a little bit today, and then I messed up. He knows you're going to mess up. He's not expecting perfection out of you. If, you perf if he expected perfection, Jesus wouldn't have died for us. How do you know if you love God? Are you saved? Are you obedient to him? You have no right to claim this verse for people that are not saved. This verse is not for them. This promise is not for them. Because you've got to understand something. Jesus can either be good or bad in someone's life. He is the door. If you want the door, he will let you in. See, tonight, if I want to go into this room, the door is going to let me. And the door lets me in there. 
Jesus is the door. There comes a point where you've rejected and you don't want that door and you try going your way and everything else. That door's not good. It's like the ark. Came a time where the door shut. When the door shut, you weren't getting in. And it was a bad day. That was a bad ark for a lot of people. But that ark was really, really good for Noah and his family. Right? Exactly. And so, as we look at this, there's, there's a condition to God's promise. And always, just do yourself a favor when you study the Word of God. When you look at the Word of God, and God gives you a promise, look for the condition for the promise. Most of the time, if not all the time, there's always conditions for the promise. That's the way it works. We see letter E. We see there is a consequence. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Do you realize this verse, and I want to make sure you understand this tonight as we finish up here in a minute, this verse is not designed for our happiness. I think some people take this verse for their happiness. It's not to be taken lightly. And this verse cannot be complete without verse 29 and 30. They are tied together. And sometimes we look at chapters. You realize when the Bible was written, there were no verses and chapter divisions? I heard someone the other day talk about how the chapter divisions are just as inspired as the Bible. And what a bunch of baloney. Those were added by men after the fact. Don't go down that road. And you know, well, John 6, 66. Praise God for what the Bible says. If you want, and if you want to get into numbers and do all those things, just uh, men added the numbers in there. So let's leave the numbers out of it. But God wrote a whole book called Numbers. He did, and I'm glad you realized that tonight. But don't get too carried away on certain things. Be thankful for the Word of God. But sometimes those verse things break up ideas for us, but you got to understand something. Verse 29 and 30 go with verse 28. And as we shall see, not tonight because I'm out of time. You're only getting point number one, so you need to save these notes for two weeks. But God's purpose in turning everything together for good is not to bless you, not to make you happy, not to make you wealthy, God is doing all that he is doing in our lives to make us more like him. Don't lose sight of that. Now I know, just a second ago, this is what happens. I said we're only going through point number one. So some of you in the room were closing up all your notes and totally missed what I said, probably the most important point of the entire verse, right at the time you closed everything up. So I'm going to repeat it. And then save those notes for in two weeks, unless the Lord comes. And we don't need me to give any more notes if the Lord comes. If I'm gone, though, and you're still here, you can use my iPad, and you can get the rest of the notes in two weeks, okay? But as I just said, and as I finish up here, God's purpose in turning everything to good is not to bless us, not to make you happy, not to make you wealthy. God is doing all that he's doing to make us more like him. You and I were not a finished work at salvation. 
our salvation and our heavenly home, it is secure. But we, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Isn't that a kid's song that the kids sing? And he's still working on me. He knows what's best. All things work together for good, and he'll continue to shape and to mold me, to make me more like his son, and someday I will be like Jesus. That's what this verse is all about. So Romans 8, verse 28 teaches us that God has an eternal plan that, has no, that nothing will ever be able to change that plan. God is busy at work no matter how messed up this world is, no matter how much we mess everything up. God is at work behind the scenes at times, sometimes right in front of our eyes. He's working all things together for good for the purpose of making us more like Christ for that day when we get to be with him forever. Whew! That's what it's all about right there. What a great promise. What a great verse. Man, there's so much more good stuff that I wanted to get to tonight, and we only got through one verse. So in two weeks, we'll cover verse 29 and 30. Father,